I do have a message that I want to get across to you before you leave this morning. If you would, turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 23. Or actually, let's go with Matthew 24, beginning in verse 9. Matthew 24, verse 9. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 9. This is what it reads. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended. They will betray one another, and they will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. You can be seated. He who endures to the end shall be saved. The Bible tells us that Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was a man that was acquainted with grief. His whole life was a life of tribulation all the way through. But he made it to the point that even on the cross, he could sit there and he could say, It is finished. He said, It's done. The, the purpose that I have been given... The purpose that I came here for, it is finished. I have completed. I have made it to the end. I didn't get halfway through and quit. I didn't get to the Garden of Gethsemane and say, Oh, it's too hard. I can't do this. I said, No, not my will, Father, but your will be done. And I carried on. I endured even to the point of the cross, even to the death of this body. And I sit on the cross as they pierced my side and I said, It is finished. I have completed the work that God sent me to do. And then I think about Paul. Paul, he could say the same thing. He said when he wrote his last letter to Timothy, he said that he was on his deathbed. My time of departure is at hand. But he said something else. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. And now I'm going to receive the prize that is laid up for me because of Jesus Christ. He said, I didn't get halfway through this thing and it was just too tough. I didn't make it all the way to Lystra to minister and then they stoned me for my faith and they left me dead in this town. But even still, it didn't stop me. I got up and the very next day I journeyed on to the next town and I kept on going. No matter what this world wanted to throw at me, no matter how tough it got, I did not quit. And I'm going to tell you the things that every one of these people throughout the Word had to know if they were going to endure through the tribulation that this world will throw at you as a Christian. But you know what? Even if you're not a Christian, this world's got tribulation. <laughs> I don't care if you know Christ or not. This world's going to throw trouble at you because this world, there is no hope in it. I don't know if you've figured this out yet, but if you've been alive more than a day, you should know that this world has nothing in it for you but death. That's exactly what you have to look forward to in this world. You can make all the money you want. Oh, you can have the best job that this world has to offer. Oh, you can be the biggest and the baddest on your block. 
You can carry the biggest gun and have the most toys when you die, and you still die. That's it. That's what you have to look forward to if your trust and your hope is in this world. But it will throw trouble at you all the way through it. And if you're going to be able to say that I endured, I made it to the end, I finished the race. See, there's a lot of people that I know, guys. Y'all listen to me real close because I'm talking to some of you personally today. And I've talked to so many of you so many times. Some of my best friends walk in this building. They'll make a decision to follow Christ. Somewhere along the line... Either the cares of this world will wrap up on them and they'll say, you know, it's just too more than I want to do. They'll go back out there and they'll start living for the world again. I'll have some that'll come in here and they'll give their life to, they'll supposedly give their life to Christ and then they will see that, uh, that you know, as a Christian, that it's a, sometimes it can be embarrassing. Sometimes it can, um, it can be tough. They'll see that and they'll decide, you know what, this is more than I signed up for and they'll go right back out there to the way they were. Oh, they were faithful for a while, but they didn't endure. They sit down somewhere along the way and they just quit. So I'm tired of my friends quitting halfway through. And you know, as many people as I get close to that come in this place, I've sit down and I've talked to most every one of you, I believe, and I've looked you dead in the eye and i said... I've had so many of my best friends walk through this place only to watch them walk right back out into the world. And you know what? I'm sick of it. Get in or get out. Let me just say it. Let me just put it bluntly. Get in or get out. You have a choice. Christ has given each and every one of us a choice. You can choose to live for this life or you can choose to live for Him. He never come to, to anyone's place and just begged them and pleaded with them and, and, and say, please, 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 please come follow me. Please do what is right. No, he said, listen, if you live for the flesh, you'll receive the reward of the flesh. If you live for me, you'll receive the reward that I have for you. I want to show you this morning three things that you must know if you're going to make it to the end of this race. If you're going to sit on your deathbed and you're going to be able to say, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I didn't go halfway and decide this world was more important for me. No, there were some things that I knew that I could not stop halfway in this race. I would make it to the finish line. One of the things that you must know, I want you to look at John chapter 9, verse 25. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24 that I just read to you? He said, but he who endures to the end, what? Shall be saved. But there's a stipulation there. The ones who are saved are the ones who endure to the end. Don't get it twisted. Do not be deceived, the Bible says. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that also shall he reap. If he sows to the flesh, he shall of the flesh reap corruption. If he sows to the Spirit, he shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. But don't get it twisted. He who endures to the end shall be saved. But he who quits... Let me stop right there. John chapter 9, verse 25. And actually, I want to back up just a little bit. John chapter 9, starting in verse... Verse 13. 
What has happened here is on the Sabbath day, Jesus has just healed a man that has been blind since he was born. Now, as most of you know, on the Sabbath day for the Jewish law, it was illegal, so to say, for them to do work on the Sabbath day. They considered what Jesus has just done by healing this man a work. So now they are questioning different people about what Jesus has done, trying to find fault in him in some way or another. And here's where we're at, verse 13. They brought him formerly who was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he, how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. That's all I can tell you. But he goes on in verse 16, and the Bible says, Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But then he says, Others say, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So part of them believed there's no way possible that this man that can do this cannot be of God. It's not possible. He must be of God. And then there was another side of them that said, well, because he worked on the Sabbath, he can't be of God. So they're divided. Then in verse 17, they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. Basically, here's the man's answer. He is from God. There's no question. This man is from God. He goes on and he says in verse 18, But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? Verse 20. His parents answered them and said, We know that this man is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. And then verse 22. His parents said those things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that anyone that confessed that he was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. Verse 24. So they again called the man who was born blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. But listen closely to verse 25. Listen closely to what this man knew. He says here, he answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know. One thing I know. That though I was blind, now I see. <laughs> this blind man that once was blind. He said, you know, I don't know everything there is to know about this man. I can't tell you much about him, Nick. Man, I ain't been raised with this Jesus. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know the Bible. I, I'm not a man that has, has heard all these scriptures. I don't know this stuff. I do not know much about this man. But one thing I know, and really the only thing I need to know, is once I was blind. Oh, but now, Ricky, now I see. I remember a time in my life where I just couldn't really see, Nick. 
I remember a time in my life whenever I lived for this world. Oh, I lived for the world just as much as any single one of you in here has. I've lived my life for all the pleasures that this thing has to offer. I've lived my life for all the pleasures that my heart could reach and strive for. I've lived my life for everything that this world has to offer to anybody. I've lived for it. And I never had a clue. I never could see, Ronnie, that the only thing that this led to was destruction. I was blinded by the fact that one day I will stand before the great judge, the great God Almighty. One day I will stand in front of Him and it won't matter that I have a big camper. You think God cares that I go camping? It ain't going to matter that I had a house and a few acres of land. You think God cares that I had a house and a few acres of land? I'm going to stand before the great judge and I will, I will have to give an account for the way that I chose to live, the life that he gave. And I'm going to tell you, there ain't but one thing going to matter. Can you see? Can you see? Or are you still blind? Are you still blinded by the fact that there is no hope in this world? You have just lived your life for something that ends in absolutely no hope. Oh, but I remember the day. I remember the day that the, the Lord began to show me my sin condition. I knew I was a sinner, but I remember the day that I truly began to see the result of my sin. I remember the day that I, I, I sit down in my bedroom in the corner and, and as, a, as a big man sit down there and cried like a baby. I remember the day. I remember when I finally had my eyes open to see exactly where I stood with the great creator of all things. I remember that day. And I remember when I opened my eyes that things were not the same. I didn't know everything there was to know about Jesus. I didn't know and I still don't know everything that there is to know about God, the creator of all things. But one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. If you're going to endure to the end, one thing you must know is that you used to be blind, but now your eyes must be opened. You must understand where you stood with God. Look at Matthew chapter 13 with me. I want to give just a brief explanation of it. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus has just told the parable of the sower. He's just told the parable of a man who went by and he was just throwing seed out. Some of this seed landed on a wayside road. Some of this seed landed on some stony ground. Some of this land fell among the thorns. Some of this seed fell on good ground. The only one that produced, the only seed that gained root and grew up to be something and that bore fruit, the only one was the one that fell on good ground. So all the rest of them, it really don't matter why they did not grow up and bear fruit. The only thing that matters is that they didn't. But I want to look at the one difference between the good ground here and all the rest that made him make it to the end. If you'll look at Matthew 13, beginning in verse... I think it's Matthew 13. 
beginning in verse 18. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 18. Jesus explains this parable to him. Here's what he's told him. He said, some of this seed fell by the wayside, and it, it began to grow up, but it, it, it never actually took root. Some of it fell on the stony ground, and, and it didn't take root either. The cares of the world choked it out. Some of it fell on the thorns, and the same thing, the tribulation and the persecution, it, just, it was too much for them, so it did, they quit. But then he gives to explain the parable in verse, in verse 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, so here's the seed that's being thrown. The seed is the word of the kingdom that Jesus Christ has came and He has died and He has bought and paid for all of your sin debt. The Bible says the wages of sin is what? What did Jesus do? He died. The kingdom word is that Jesus died. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. What was the key thing that happened there? He didn't understand it. He was still blind. Oh, he got the word, Nick, but his eyes were not opened. He did not see where he stood. He, he got the word. He received it. However, it did not take root because he did not understand his sin condition. And then he says, This is he who receives seed by the wayside. Verse 20. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground, this is the only one that's different from the other three. Listen to what it says. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and what? He is the one that saw where he stood with the Lord. He evaluated his life and he said, there's no question according to God's standard of goodness, I am a sinner. There's no question. And he received the word of God to say, the payment for your sin has been paid through Jesus Christ. And he heard the word, and the seed took root because he understood it. He said, I once was blind, but now I see. I still don't know everything there is to know about this God. I still don't know everything there is to know about Jesus Christ, but the only one thing that I have to know is that I was blind when I lived for the world, but I'm not blind no more. I see. All the other things of the provisions of this world, if I have time for them, I'll enjoy them. A lot of times I don't have time for them, but that's okay. Because on the day that I stand before God, I promise you my concern ain't going to be that I didn't have time to camp in my camper. When I stand before God, my concern ain't going to be that I did not have time to, to, uh, to go enjoy and play a basketball game. 
My concern is not going to be that I did not get to enjoy uh, the fish in the creek one more time. That ain't going to be my concern. Because I'm not blind anymore. I see what matters. I see what ends in hope and what ends in no hope. One thing you must know, you must understand that you were blind and your eyes need to be open to see where you stand with God. You must know that if you're going to endure to the end. The other two things real quick. The next thing, one thing that you must do. So that's the one thing if you're going to make it to the end to say, I finished this race. You must know that Jesus Christ has saved your soul and your life now belongs to Him, not you. You must know that if you're going to make it to the end. The second thing you must do comes from Philippians chapter 3, 13 and 14. And I carried, uh, taught some of this last week, but I'm going to do it again because the Lord said so. One thing you must do, and this is an important one. Remember the, one, the seed that fell upon the thorny ground? The Bible said that it, it, it grew up and, and that the cares of the world choked it out. The cares of the world and the riches and the things that, you, that this world has to offer, it choked out the Word. And it began to go after that instead of going after God. Philippians 3, 13 and 14, listen to what Paul said. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Remember I said there's one thing you must know? There's one thing you must do. Forget those things which are behind and reach forward to those things which are ahead. Verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says there's one thing that I must do. If you remember at the beginning of this chapter, Paul was telling you all about the things he'd accomplished in this world. Oh, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was circumcised of the eighth day of the stock of Israel. Oh, I was raised at the feet of Gamaliel, the greatest Jewish teacher in, in, in history. I have, I have accomplished and gained so many things in this world, but one thing I do, I forget all that. I forget the things that are behind me because I have chose to not live for that anymore. I forget that, and let me tell you what I do. I press toward the goal. What is the goal? What are we trying to achieve? Likeness of who? He said, I press toward the goal. I'm trying to reach that place to where I am Christ-like. And the reason I do it, I press toward the goal. Why? For the prize. There's a prize at the end of this race, Nick. You think God asked you to do this for nothing? Is God, does the Bible not say that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him? I want to let you know right now, there is a prize at the end of this race that you can't even imagine. There is a hobby for you at the end of this thing that you will never grow tired of. You know, it's funny, we, uh, I love to ride four-wheelers. We go riding a lot and but sometimes we ride these same trails over and over, you know. And, and yesterday, Nick and Pinky come to me, or um, not Nick, uh, Pinky and Chris come to me. They went riding, and they told me, we found some new trails. They were excited. They couldn't believe these new trails they had found at this place we've been riding for so long. And do you know why they were excited about new trails? Because the same ones, even though they were fun, they began to grow old. 
Oh, but there's a hobby waiting for me at the end of the race that the trails will never grow old. The trails will never end. It is a place that my eye has never seen, my ear has never heard of, and my heart has never imagined. So I forget those things that I had to leave behind here in order to serve the Lord. I forget all that. It don't really matter. And instead, I press toward the goal of Christ's likeness because I know there's a prize that awaits for me. You say, oh, you're just doing it for the prize? I'm doing it because God said if I do it, He will give me the prize. You do it for whatever you want to do it for. I press toward the goal because there is a prize at the end of this thing. So I have forgot those things which are behind me. That is the one thing that I must do if I'm going to endure to the end. My third thing, and I didn't even get to it. Mark 8, 34 through 37, Jesus tells us that whoever desires to save his life here, what's going to happen to it? He's going to lose it. Whoever loses his life right here for the sake of Christ, what happens to him? He gains life. Forget those things which are behind. Forget the things that are in this world. Forget it. I'm not saying you can't make a living. I'm not saying not to, not to work your job. Don't hear me saying that. I'm saying don't make it your life priority. Make serving the Lord Jesus Christ and the goals and the purposes that He has given you the ministries that it make, that's your priority. And then the rest of it comes right into line the way that it's supposed to. But you don't live for those things. You forget those things and you press toward the goal of Christ's likeness. All right, the next thing, one thing that we must seek. Look at Psalm 27, verse 4. Thank you, Ricky. Psalm 27, verse 4. What's the first two words? Can you think of the title of my message this morning? One thing. One thing you must know if you're dear. One thing you must do. One thing you must seek. It comes from Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing. I have desired of the Lord. Only one thing. And that one thing I will seek. And this is what it is. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of what? My life. Not just the days that are in eternity, but all the days of my life. The one thing that I'm going to seek is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And here's why. To behold His beauty. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. He said there is one thing that I'm going to seek while I'm down here. I'm going to seek to see the beauty of the Lord. I am going to seek with all my heart to just inquire about who He is. Remember, one thing you must know is that you were blind but now you see, if indeed you do see. If you're still living for the world, I'm sorry to tell you, you have not seen yet. Your eyes are still closed. They are shut. You can stand in here with your hands and they can touch the ceiling. But if you're still living for the world, I'm sorry to tell you, your eyes are not open. 
you have not truly seen. You say, oh, how can you say whether or not I have seen or not? Let me tell you, if your neighbor's house was on fire, this is the best example I've ever heard. If your neighbor's house is on fire, you see the flames. Are you going to sit in your recliner and watch your neighbor asleep and he is over there as the house burns down? What are you going to do? You're going to get up and you'll beat on the door. What if they don't come to the door? You're just going to go back to your recliner and sit down again? You're going to keep beating or you might even pick up a rock and break a window, wouldn't you? Not only would you break a window, but you're definitely going to run back and call 911, ain't you? You're going to, even if you can't get in to help them, you're going to find somebody who can. You know why I can say you will do that? Because that fire will be a reality. There will be no question that your eyes have seen that this house is on fire. The reason I can say that your eyes have not been opened if you still live for this world is because you have not yet seen that you will have to stand in front of him and give an account. If Friday were your last day to live, or if tonight were the day, if the Lord were to tell you, tonight your, night, your life will be required of you. Tonight it's it. Tonight is the night that you're going home. What, are, what, what would you say? What would you do different today? What, what would your life be like today? What, what would, you, would you go home and take a nap? That's a good question, ain't it? What would you do? What would you do different today if today was the day? It's all I've got. And then at 9 o'clock tonight, I will stand before the great judge and I will give an account for myself. You know, when people go to court here in this, in this world, it's funny to me, most of them do this, not all of them. But if someone knows that they're going to have to go to court for a big trial, uh, the, one of the first things they're going to do is, is uh, take a good bath. Probably get a suit somewhere, ain't they? They're going to get the nicest clothes they can get because they've got to stand in front of this judge and they want to make as good a reputation in front of him as they can. Well, it ain't going to be no different when you die. You're going to want to give your best. You're going to want to know that, that you've got something to present to him to give him a reason why you have lived for him during this life and not for yourself. And the question is, what will you have to give? God, here, here's one. Well, not really. I got paid to do that. Oh, here's something. Well, not really because I really wanted to be fishing that day. I really didn't want Yeah. What do I got to give? What do I got to say that, God, I have I counted this loss that I may gain you? I quit living for this world because my eyes got opened up. I'm not blind anymore. I can see. I'm not just coming to church because I have to be there. Somebody's going to call and ask me, where was I? You, you won't get that phone call from me. I believe we're grown adults. If you want to be here, you'll be here. I ain't going to call beg you to come. So the question is, what will you count loss so that you can say, I gained Christ from it? One thing you must know, I was blind, but now I see. And the proof that I can see is that I have saw that I cannot live for this world because there's no hope in it. So no matter what, I will turn loose of that and I will reach forward to the goal of Christ's likeness for the prize because I see clearly now. One thing I must do is that I forget all the things that I had to leave behind. I forget the life that I wanted so bad because I knew it led to nothing. I forget it. 
I forget it, and I reach forward. I keep striving. And as I do this, the one thing that I will seek, I will seek to know and see your beauty. Even though I don't know everything there is to know about you, I'm going to inquire of you. I'm going to dig for you. I'm going to ask about you. I'm going to go to the teachers that I can find that know more than I know about you, and I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to find out more of who you are. And that is the one thing that I will seek. If you don't have those three things in your life, you won't make it to the end. You will quit. Somewhere along the line, you will say, it's too tough for me. I just can't do it, Clifford. It's just it's too tough. You know, the humiliation is too much. There was a, um, I, know it's, I know it's past your time, but this is God's time, so settle down. There was two men that got on a plane. Two of these men were given a parachute, both of them. One of these men was told to put this parachute on because your life will be, your, your flight will be more joyable. It will be peaceful. This, this flight will, this parachute will really, it really help you be, to be comfortable during this flight. So he puts the parachute on. He says, yeah, I want to be more comfortable. I want to be more peaceful. And then the second man gets on and he's given a parachute. The only difference is the message changes. He says, you need to put this parachute on because at 20,000 feet, everybody in this plane is going to have to jump. You know what he does? He gladly puts that parachute on and he cinches that thing up as tight as he can get it. They both get on the plane and they both sit down and the one who put the parachute on and it was told that it would improve his flight, he begins to notice that this parachute is not... Even if he lays his seat back, he just he can't get reclined. I mean, he's fixing to spend the next several hours sitting in this upright position that he can't even move. It's, it's tight on him. He don't like the way that it feels. And then he begins to look around, and he notices that all of the other passengers are pointing and laughing at him. Look at that dummy with a parachute on, like he thinks we're going to go down or something. Look at that big dummy right there. And he begins to notice, this parachute ain't comfortable. It ain't improved my flight. Not only, it ain't brought me joy, it ain't brought me peace. Instead, this parachute has brought me harassment. It's brought me suffering. It's brought me persecution. The guy behind me has just slapped me in the back of the head because I can't do anything with this parachute on. You know what he does? He takes it off. He lays his parachute down to the side. But then there's a man that got on the plane that was told, you put this parachute on because at 20,000 feet you're going to jump. And with this, without this parachute, you'll never make it. He puts this parachute on. He gets on the same plane. He receives the same kind of treatment. He don't even notice that he can't lean back in the seat because there ain't but one thing on his mind. 10,000 feet, 11,000 feet, 12,000 feet. That's the only thing he cares about. He don't even notice that people are pointing at him. They're laughing at him. He's looking back going, why ain't you got a parachute on? Why, what's going on? Why, you can laugh at me all you want, but why don't you have a parachute on? He ain't even mad at them because they're making fun of him. He is concerned for their life because he knows that at 20,000 feet we're going down. He knows this. He don't pay any attention to them whatsoever. 
And he will not take that parachute on. I don't care who, who smacks him in the back of the head. I don't care who talks about him. I don't, care wh I don't care if the stewardess were to come and say, I've got this T-bone meal just for you if you'll only take that parachute off. Is he going to take that parachute off? There is absolutely nothing that can make him take that parachute off because he knows that if he don't stay with this parachute, he will not make the jump. I want to tell you today, unless you know that you are a sinner, and unless you know that you have said goodbye to the old life and chose to live for Jesus Christ, unless you know that, you too will take your parachute off halfway down this road and you will not finish the race. You'll take Jesus off because he's not comfortable with wearing this world. I'm going to tell you right now, he's not. He's not comfortable. It, it, it is not going to bring you the great joy and the peace that this world says it will offer you. It will bring you spiritual joy and spiritual peace. But as a fleshly person, you can't understand what I'm talking about because you don't understand the things of the Spirit. But as far as in this flesh, it ain't joyful. In this flesh, it's not peaceful. The Bible says, Yea, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So if you're going to make it to the end of this life, to the end of this race, the one thing you must know is that you were blind, but now you see. The one thing you must do is you must forget the things that are behind and you must reach forward to the goal of Christ-likeness for the prize of the upward calling. And the one thing you must seek is to know more and more about who He is. If you know those three things, you will make it to the end of this race and you will receive the prize. But only you can decide for yourself. What are you living for? What's your priority in your life? What's your life about? I don't know why God's got me on this so much here lately. I've preached this message three times already. I don't believe nobody's really noticed it. The last three weeks I've preached this message three times and I don't, I don't know why. I asked God that last night. I asked Kirby that the day. I said, Kirby, why in the Lord, why in the world does the Lord give me something and I beat that thing to death? I'm like a sponge. I squeeze that thing for everything that's in it. And I won't quit preaching it until, I'm, until it's just nothing left in it. Well, I know why. Because I've seen too many people quit. I've seen too many people just like you sitting right out here. In my 14 years of doing this, I've seen too many people, Eddie, just stop. Do you know how many people I have sitting in these pews right now if everybody that I've met come through the doors of Wells Baptist Church were still here? You better build a bigger church than Lakewood in Texas. You better get Joel Osteen or somebody that can handle a mega church because I'm going to tell you right now, it'd be one. Will you make it to the end or will you be one I'll pass on the street and it'll be an awkward feeling because we used to go to church together? That's only the question you can answer. If you would stand this morning, I ask you to evaluate yourself. See where you stand with the Lord. And I want to beg you. I want to plead with you. Make the decisions you need to make this morning. Make whatever decision you need to make in order to know that you are one that will make it to the end. You're not a quitter. You're not a halfway man there. The Bible says, wide is the gate that leads to destruction and many are they who go by it. But narrow is the way that leads to everlasting life and there are very few who actually find it. I pray that you're one of the few and not one of the many.
come this morning and take care of whatever the Lord spoke to you. Whatever you need, you come tell me. Say, I don't know what I need. I don't know everything I need to know, but I know you're talking to me this morning. We'll pray about it. We'll talk about it as we sing.